Welcome to another episode of the Positive Change Podcast, a podcast that is all about inspiring new and different thinking and challenging the status quo in order to create positive change for yourself and for the world. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Harmer, and in this particular podcast episode, we continue a theme that I've been exploring for the last few podcasts, actually, spiritual concepts and how they apply within organizational environments. And in this particular podcast, we start to unpack this idea of the unique self and the evolution of consciousness. By unpacking this question, what if seeking normalcy or seeking to be the same as others is what's actually holding you and humanity back from realizing our full potential? So if this episode interests you, listen in. Hi, I'm Dr. Richard Harmer, and you're about to discover new ways to go from overwhelm to thriving in your business and in your life by following your passions, pursuing your unique life purpose, and stepping fully into your infinite potential. You deserve to live your best life, a life filled with all of the clarity, courage, and commitment you need to be happy and to make a positive impact on the world. So get ready, because this podcast challenges society's expectations for what it means to be successful in life and in business, and invites you to grow beyond outdated assumptions for defining who you are. Welcome to the Positive Change Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Positive Change Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Harmer, and we're looking at this concept of the unique self. And in unpacking the question, what if seeking normalcy or seeking to be the same or trying to find a way of fitting in with others is actually holding you and others back, humanity itself even, from realizing our shared and collective potential. So let me give you a little bit of background or context for why this topic came about. I was listening to a podcast by another podcaster just this morning and it really got me thinking about the pursuit in Western society for individual understandings of self and individual understandings of enlightenment, so to speak, or evolution or consciousness development. I really focused on the both the individual and granted pretty much more recently in psychology and it really got me thinking about the challenges of taking individual view only of and the paradoxes really of taking individual view so what if each and every one of us is socially programmed and adherence to shared norms now i say what if but actually There's plenty of psychology here around social conditioning and social programming and even the socialized mind, as Robert Keegan would say, to say that we actually are programmed pretty much to fit in and to try and be as normal as everyone else. This is, and I think this is what's actually holding humanity stuck. What if seeking normalcy, seeking similarity, seeking to fit in, unconsciously or not, is what's actually holding us back from our personal liberation, the, as the fourfold truth in Buddhism would suggest, the end of suffering. If it's actually holding us back from our own personal liberation and collective global renewal. So by way of thinking about this, I'm often um, said to many of the clients I work with that change takes twice as long as it needs and half as long as it should. I'm going to say that one more time. Change takes twice as long as it needs and half as long as it should. In fact, let me rephrase that slightly. Time takes twice as long as we want 
and half as long as it needs. Now, why is that the case? Why does change take twice as long as it should, but half as long as it needs? Well, fundamentally unpacking or considering this one statement is the idea of a mental model. The reason change takes twice as long as it should is because we, or we desire, is because it takes time for each and every one of us to to become aware of, to unpack the mental models we have about how things work. And half as long as it should, well, because we rush it and we really need to take time to understand the reasons behind the mental models and to refresh or renew those mental models to be more to be healthier and more constructive to the future realities we want to create for each other so you might be asking at this point in time so what is a mental model well a mental model is an explanation of someone's thought process about how something works in the real world it's it's how we think the world works now that way of thinking a mental model about how we think the world works may not be true but we believe and act as if it is we believe our mental models our mental representations about how the world around us operates how we fit how other people fit how things get done or not done what's acceptable not acceptable those mental models those things that in essence are a lens through which we make sense of or interpret or try to fit into the world around us those mental models may be true well, they are for us individually and potentially collectively if we think about social programming, but they're not necessarily true. So let me give you a few examples of mental models. One of the most common mental models that, we, that holds true in most Western societies, particularly when we think about how an economy works, is the mental model of supply and demand. If supply outstrips demand, then prices go down if demand outstrips supply, prices go up. So the whole idea of an of a economy is to try and match or measure in some slight variations of disconnection supply and demand in order to keep the economy growing. So that is a pretty common mental model for how Western society and the economy in many capitalist countries, capitalist uh, economies works. Now that doesn't necessarily, and the next, the, the associated mental model is that the market sets supply and demand levels. Now, that doesn't necessarily play out in some other economies that don't follow the capitalist framework, obviously. Within an organization, or most organizations, many organizations, there is a mental model based on an organization being a clock or a machine. You know, the organization machine metaphor, where everything within an organization can be geared for optimal, optimal precision, optimal repetition and consistency repetition and accuracy. The better we establish and define the machinery, the clock itself, and how those cogs best fit with each other, the more accuracy we can get in how the machine performs. Now, this leads to a number of sub-mental models that many organizations fundamentally organize, organize themselves around. The first is the idea of a plan. If we have an organization that's a machine, that's a like a clock, and we're ultimately seeking precision in its performance, then one of the ways that we can create precision is through a plan. This is how the machine best works and creates and pursues success. 
and within a capitalist economy, so the supply and demand, about how we maximise the efficiency, efficient production of supply and sell it for within a market that demands that a way of return to profit, so on and so forth. So now I'm, I'm not suggesting in any way that plans are not good. Plans are incredibly helpful for helping align large groups of people towards some, some common and shared focus. But the map is not the territory. That is, the plan itself is not really how the organization works. It's a, it's a mental model. It's an understanding of how we, most, we ideally want the organization and its people and resources to organize to get and maximize a result. But it's not reality. And as a result, we stick too closely and adhere too rigidly to a plan then we become highly reactionary rather than responsive to changes in the organization's implementation or operating environment. It's really come about the whole movement of responsive orgs of which agile within organizational life is just one of those mental models for one of an, a better phrase for how we create more flexibility, more adaptability and more responsiveness within organizations that doesn't have us a, a slave to a plan but planning as a way of better understanding how best to respond to changing and dynamic circumstances. Now, related to the idea of a plan and that mental model of a plan is a second mental model that plays out in many organizations and perhaps yours as well, command and control. The idea that the consistent delivery of a plan requires roles within an organization that command what everyone else does. Think about this like the traditional organizational hierarchy where, uh, where the people or the roles at, inverted commas, at the top command more influence and authority over those roles towards the bottom in order to create coherence and a sense of compliance with the delivery of that plan and control in how that plan is executed. Command and control is a mechanism through which we ensure the timely and accurate delivery of the organization's plan around its success. But Richard Hames, Dr. Richard Hames wrote a book, Five Literacies of Global Leadership. I'm going back probably a decade now. He had a metaphor, uh, Richard Hames is a futurist. He spoke about alternative ways of thinking about organizational and leadership performance in more volatile and uncertain times. And he uses a metaphor within that particular book to explain a certain element of responsiveness in organizational life and social life and not-for-profits and whatever it might be, the cathedral and the cafe. Now, the cathedral, in essence, is the more traditional hierarchy, the backbone of the organization where there's a common message, common purpose, and a unifying rhythm for how things occur, where information flows top-down. And then there's this alternative called the cafe where authority and roles are abandoned and we all sit around with whoever's next to us at the coffee table having a conversation about what matters. And what Richard Hames is talking about within this metaphor isn't that one is better than the other. That is, we should have cafes and no cathedrals or cathedrals and no cafes. But to say that they're both equally important but to not become overly focused on one or the other. And what's the real challenge in many organisations that I work with is an over-focus on command and control. Now, we've seen this as more traditional top-down top down hierarchies of leadership. Now, we've tried to be more authentic and genuine and flexible and collaborative in how we think about organising our organisations and our people. 
but the underlying unconscious mental model still remains command and control. That's why we have organizational charts and how they work. Now, distributed decision-making and meaningful autonomy are one, some of the ways of how we continue to work with and around this mental model of command and control. Now, the third ubiquitous mental model that, that's in many, many organizations and ultimately is causing significant amounts of fragility in our organizational lives and performance is the mental model of fully utilize a resource. Now, organizations originally were designed to optimally organize or optimally, optimally leverage people and other scarce resources in order to maximize value creation. And in this way, utilization and the, the, the bane of many people's existence in many organizations, utilization rates, having the right measure in place to get the right result. Where the right measure being maximizing the individual billable hours or the maximizing the individual work rates of the individual resources in organizations towards some magic number close to 100% utilization, whatever that might be. But conformity of this nature does two things that are not necessarily helpful. Mediocrity becomes part of the unhealthy behavior of utilization rates because if you start to realize that utilization rates, it doesn't matter how hard you work this month, you're going to be expected to work the same next month and you're starting to feel pretty tired because you've worked pretty hard this month, you might start to game the system in some way in order to look like you're busy when maybe you're not so busy. Now, I don't know about you, I've worked in organizations where I have personally done this as a way of trying to ensure that I maintain my own level of well-being and performance over the longer term. Because the more you perform, the more the organization's utilization rate expects you to perform. So in order to protect oneself's mental and emotional, relational and life health, Sometimes you do just enough in order to be able to sustain longer term. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone's doing that, but one of the downsides of maximizing utilization is that people start to, inverted commas, underperform in order to look after themselves. Now, this is spoken about in extensive detail in a book by Nassim Taleb called Anti-Fragility. And one of the considerations he's got within this book of anti-fragile, and now an anti-fragile organization or anti-fragile system is in-depth topic for another time but the summary is this systems that thrive because of disruption they create disruption in order to thrive in order to grow in order to become more um, a, a greater performance as a result of chaos and uncertainty in anti-fragility one of the key considerations here is intentional redundancy that is creating intentional slack or space or flex within the organizational system social system life system so that if things go wrong we don't become overwhelmed if things take longer we still have time so ultimately the notion of a utilization rate as a mental model even though it's all about maximizing organizational performance does the very opposite in many many instances so we think about this mental model within organizational life called the clock or the machine an alternative mental model to consider is organizations as living systems, like a flock, or like a flock of birds, or a flock of fish, or a school of fish. Now, the notion of organizations as living systems, as an alternative mental model, as an alternative 
consideration to organizations as machines is that research, extensive research on bird flocking patterns has identified four simple rules for how birds flock. Number one, separation. That is giving space to those people, your close neighbors, to ensure that you don't run into each other. Now, if we consider this from the from the perspective of the unique self, which I'll come back to in a moment, but if we start to think about this within an organizational context, it takes this idea that we are not all ubiquitous and the same, but a cognitive machine. We're not all the same, we're uniquely different. And if we start to get too close, start to duplicate each other too much, we're gonna run into each other. Each entity within a flock of birds is a unique self-authoring, self-determining system itself. And avoiding running into another bird, running into another person, not duplicating what they do or who they are is an essential element for flocking effectively. Avoiding colliding into neighbors by giving people, giving space. That's the first rule is separation, avoiding running into each other. The second is this idea of alignment steering towards the average heading of our neighbors so in flock of birds we're steering towards the direction of the birds closest to us some sort of direction that is common to all so as soon as we start taking on a living systems mental map rather than a command and control consideration it doesn't automatically suggest that everyone heads in different directions it suggests if we take a living system and flocking behavior, we are going to head in a similar direction, based on our closest neighbors, based on aligning with what other people seem to be working on or focused on or contributing to. The third of four of these simple rules is what's called cohesion. This idea of steering towards the average position and speed of our neighbors over the longer term. So this is about longer term uh, attraction, staying in close proximity with each other maintaining the same average position and speed through time that is not rushing ahead or staying behind or whatever that might be it's all about long-term attraction towards our neighbors towards other people in the organization that sense of finding things to do together that allows us to maintain our average position and speed with each other now the fourth and final rule here of flocking is what's called leadership. That sense of at any time a bird can intentionally escape the flock. They can choose not to align or cohere and to take that idea of avoidance, not colliding with our neighbors to an extreme and exit the flock. Do its own thing. That sense of escaping and choosing to fly alone or choosing a different flock to fly with. Now, oftentimes what happens here when that single bird decides not to flock anymore, if every other bird is following along these same principles of avoiding running into each other, staying aligned by having steering towards an average heading together and coherence steering towards an average position or a common position and speed, if one bird moves, many of the other birds follow. So this notion of being different creates coherence and similarity ultimately it's about choice so when we think about this alternative mental model that moves us away from being stuck with 
and adhering to a plan that may or may not be working. Command and control is a way of trying to get everyone to stay connected to the plan, if it, even if it's not working. And a sense of utilisation. If everyone's so busy doing the plan, no one gets to think about anything else. The alternative, an alternative mental model to that, living systems of specific, in this case, flocking behaviour, allows us to actually maintain a resonance and a coherence together without necess- well, where every single person maintains their personal agency, their choicefulness and ability to determine their own future. So based on that consideration of examples of a couple of mental models, I wanted to come back to the idea that really kicked off this podcast, uniqueness and the idea of the unique self, a, an element that has some degree of um, stickiness within world spirituality circles. So choosing to leave a flock, moving from conformity towards co-evolution, is really what the essence of this podcast is all about. What if fitting in, what if seeking to be normal, the seeking to be same, is actually slowing down and slowly degrading humanity's capacity for continuous renewal? Doing the same thing we've always done because we think we should do the same thing we've always done results in us getting stuck. Now, there is a caveat here. Of course, if we all conform to doing the same thing we did yesterday, that doesn't mean that humanity will be stuck. It will continue to evolve. It has done so for millions of years, billions of years, and will continue to do so for some time. It's not as though doing we if we conform, everything gets stuck. We may perish, but evolution of life will continue on even if the human species doesn't quite make it. Now, that might seem abrupt as I say it, and it seems abrupt to me, but that's the pragmatics of it, is life itself has an impulse to evolve and will continue to evolve, even though certain species and sub-elements of that life as a whole may or may not exist into the future. But what's important for us to consider here, I think, is that if we get stuck, inverted commas, it's really about the speed through which we can respond to change the changing currents of our time. If we continue to do the same things we've always done, if we continue to get stuck by social conditioning and social norms of what's acceptable or what's okay and really not standing out and fitting in and so on and so forth, our ability to respond to the changing currents of our time is slowed down. And that is where the problem is, I fear. So... The unique self, what is it? Dr. Mark Gaffney wrote several books uh, on this particular topic. Um, Dr. Mark Gaffney was a um, Jewish rabbi um, and he's got a checkered history, so but I won't get into that here. But he talked about this idea of a unique self being a radically singular, gorgeous and special self in the world. Each and every one of us is and has a unique self and our unique self is radically singular gorgeous and special in the world we're not normal we're different and we are uniquely different to each and every other element of life each and every one of us not just the human species but all animals plants all living creatures all living life is unique and provides a unique window, a unique lens of the consciousness itself waking up to itself. Now, this is an invitation 
to adjust your own mental model here from the pursuit of sameness to the pursuit of difference. Imagine life from the singular atoms that make up each and every speck of dirt to the billions and trillions of stars that make up the known universe and all of the antimatter in between. Imagine all of that life from the atoms that make up the grains of sand to the infinite number of stars that make up our known universe are all part of the same jigsaw puzzle. Each piece designed to fit perfectly into the much larger infinite whole. Every single thing perfectly designed for uniqueness and to fit perfectly with its surrounding neighbors into some elegant whole. Your unique self is a unique puzzle piece, completely unique and essential to the creation of the unified whole. A piece defined and understood not just within a context of work or an organization or a team or in relationship with a manager, but with life itself. And I think this is a really important thing for each and every one of us who work in organizations, not-for-profits, not community groups, whatever they may be. If we start to try and conform our unique selves to any one context, let's just say our work team, to fit in, unless that work team is perfectly fitting in with every other work team and every work team fitting in with every, with the organization whole and the organization whole with its in, with other organizations and the industry and blah, 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 all the way out to the trillions and billions of stars, unless that's all perfectly aligned, we're going to cr create a disturbance. If we try to fit in in one environment and not be uniquely ourselves in all environments we find ourselves in then we cannot find our unique self and we cannot fit elegantly into the unified whole what if defining yourself too narrowly within an organization or a work environment results in you being misshaped to fit in with the greater jigsaw puzzle of life what if your very existence and your experience demands you to be different to differentiate to sharpen your edges rather than hone them off in order to inverted commas fit in your unique self with all of its unique edges is the great connector to everything so i really like that metaphor of the jigsaw puzzle and the jigsaw puzzle piece every single piece of a jigsaw puzzle is slightly different they may kind of look the same from a distance but when you break them down i don't know if you've ever tried this with jigsaw puzzle you try and put the wrong piece with the wrong piece and it just doesn't fit so this notion that each and every one of us is unique with our own unique curves and edges and straight lines and triangles and whatever it might be each of us has our fuzzy bits and our smooth bits and our, and our grittiness and our elegance all allowing us to be different to the next piece of life the next element and it is our unique self that is the great connector to everything being different to all else living your own unique self does matter being your unique self and living into your unique self affects the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of humanity because when since we fit 
because we're truly being our unique selves and each and every one of us is doing that without a sense of missing something or being something else or being lesser than it allows a flow an elegance in life itself that allows a harmony that accelerates the evolution of our collective humanity it helps all it helps all of us to remain unstuck it helps all of us to flock together and to respond to life itself now this is a topic for another podcast but the question that is often asked of me when i start talking about this is okay i can get on board with this idea of a unique self so and i can understand this idea of the importance and power of pursuing difference rather than pursuing similarity and i can understand the paradoxical nature of the more i pursue difference the more i actually fit in which is the paradox of how i think it works i get that so how do you be different give me the steps and i'll go and do that then well unfortunately there's no one way i can tell you my way as i continue to live into my unique self but that does not mean that that is your way of living into your unique self but i will say this and perhaps i'll record another podcast that dives into each of these things in more detail but i will say this first of all one of the things is very important to understanding our unique self is to know ourselves intimately intimately in to me see the depths within yourself all of the good stuff and the not so good stuff allowing yourself to fully get to know and become intimate with your your infinity your range of self practicing authenticity with yourself be be honest with yourself be be have be courageous to be yourself for yourself and with others in each and every moment appreciate simply being you now appreciate being you now in this moment in whatever expression that comes up as it may not be your vertical's idealized self but it's your unique self in this moment fully embracing and appreciating all that you're bringing to yourself and to life around you in each moment follow the energy of life follow the energy towards personal liberation the things that are personally i found incredibly helpful is recognizing that the more i follow the positive energy of my own life those things that bring me joy those things that um open up my own curiosity those things that have me go ah, wow that was pretty cool i didn't expect that those types of experiences the more i pursue those the more i head in the direction of discovering and living into my unique self and towards my own personal liberation feel fully into everything even if even in the face of some of the most challenging things in life even though it might be really uncomfortable and unpleasant it's better to feel fully than to dissociate open up your heart so there's a few things there know yourself intimately practice authenticity appreciate simply being you in this in each and every moment follow your life's positive energy towards personal liberation and feel fully but that's not enough obviously importantly being in real relationship with others it is through our real relationship with others that we fully understand and can learn to appreciate and mold our edges we understand who we are through our relationships with other people so this is the type of thing being living into a unique self is not something that's done alone <laughs> it's going to be done by fully running arms wide open into life itself and all of your relationships it's not by rigidly holding on to those edges either like okay i found my unique self this is who i am 
I'm not willing to change anything. I've discovered this. Like, here's the plan of who I am. I'm just going to follow the plan now. It doesn't work that way. Not rigidly holding on to those edges, but seeking them out and appreciating them, growing with them, and together with others, experiencing the possible as we continue to live into our edges and not forgetting the past either. So living into the possible with equal measure as appreciating and living into our past. Now, how does this apply, this unique self-applied in organizations? I'll come back to this idea of flocking, birds flocking, and those four simple rules. Differentiation, not running into each other, giving each other space. The more we're able to help each other find our unique selves and the more we're able to find and live into our own unique selves, the more we're likely it is that we're going to differentiate and not run into each other. Align, that sense of following in the direction of our closest neighbors. What are you interested in? Ah, oh, that might be interesting for me to discover something about as well. Cohering, having an average of the same speed and direction as others. That sense of having an average position in space and speed in space allows us to cohere and work together and ultimately to lead, to realize that in any moment your edges may encourage you and they demand you to move in a different direction as you discover your life's liberation. Now I'm going to say one last thing before I conclude our, our podcast for the day about the idea of love. Love with a capital L. In fact, an uppercase love. This deep appreciation and acceptance of yourself and of others just as they are not wanting yourself or others to be different in order to fit in somewhere or somehow, but actually appreciating it through the edginess of each other and accepting that edginess that we truly understand and live into unconditional, arms wide open, capital letters love, aspiring for wholeness together. Not just, and this isn't just about letting people get away with anything or being lesser than, it's about loving ourselves and others fully, accepting so that we can all be free. Now, of course, unique self itself is another mental model. And we've started this podcast talking about mental models. The idea of similarity and difference is pursuing similarity or pursuing difference is another mental model for how we understand how the world works. Now, it doesn't mean that the world or reality really is this way. It's a mental construction to help us make shorthanded, quicker interpretations of what something we're experiencing might be so unique self is another mental model but discovering and living into your own unique self is i think a positive step in the right direction of liberating your own and others potential to making positive change in the world and to finding our way home together to our unified whole Hi, and thank you so much for checking out another episode of the Positive Change Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe using the button below and make sure you also click the bell icon to get notified every time we release a new episode. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, we have them in the link underneath, as well as our social media handles and some links to free training and other offers that we drop from time to time to help you go from overwhelmed to thriving in pursuing your best life. So go ahead and check out this episode's show notes if you're interested. And thank you so much for tuning into the Positive Change Podcast.